know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it is a beautiful morning across South Texas in the Hill Country in San Antonio. And, of course, who knows where you might be listening on the Internet. I hope hope you've got beautiful sunshine out there just like we do. Only thing would be better if we had pouring rain, which we would sure accept in this part of the state. But uh, not going to happen today, at least they're not forecasting it. But uh, as my old buddy Alton Grimm used to always say, every day we're one day closer to that next good rain. Lots of things to talk about. Uh, only the most important things are the ones that you are interested in. Uh, Gordon and Ross are going to be my next two callers. That leaves two open lines, and uh, you've probably discovered the hard way that as we move later into the show, it gets harder to get through. So you might want to give a call as soon as you can, 210-599-5555. And I just hate to keep people waiting, so let's just get started with those calls. And Gordon's first in line. Good morning, Gordon. Hey, good morning, Bob. You are right. It is another beautiful, hot day to be on this side of the soul. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hey, Bob, I got uh, some perennial shrubs in front of my house here. Uh, uh, they've got uh, nice big purple spears on them. I forget what they're called, but I got a zillion bumblebees out here right uh-huh. now. I'm loving it. And uh also got a bunch of barn swallows that have been uh, nesting in front of my house and in front of these, uh, next to these plants. And I, I thought they were pooping all over these plants, but uh, it, it looks like it's, it's, uh, some kind of a so my wife said it might be a mealybug it looks like white and then there's something inside there and i was uh wondering what you would suggest to spraying on there to get rid of them uh, uh mealybugs without hurting these bumblebees well probably um the best thing that you can use and uh so the mealybugs are right around the flowers themselves yeah and on the stems you know uh uh, they're <laughs> pretty much uh, pretty much all over the place. Yeah, um, there there are probably the safest, best thing for you to use. It it'll take a little while longer to kill, but you can get a product which is called insecticidal soap. Uh, the okay. most common brand name is Safers. S a f e r s. And Safers insecticidal soap is going to be totally bee friendly. It's going to take two or three applications to control the mealybugs. Now, if this were a different time of year or if you didn't have so many big old bumblebees going after them, then I would uh, suggest a combination of spinosad and insecticidal soap. But uh, don't want to do, I'm with you, I don't want to do anything that's going to bother the bees. And I don't know about you, but I am seeing more bumblebees than I have ever seen. And I don't know exactly how to account for it, but... Uh, I'd say that three or four times as many bumblebees. This is the time of year they always show up, but <laughs> excuse me, they're having an excellent year. But uh, if you get some insecticidal soap, if you, uh, I would spray early in the day, 
and try to coat things as uh, thoroughly as possible. You don't want to use it in the middle of the day because anything with soap in it can act kind of like a magnifying glass could end up burning the flowers. But uh, right. insecticidal soap is... Excuse me, go ahead. I was, reading, I was reading a little bit about it on there. Some people was talking about uh, alcohol. Uh, well, uh, like... if, if she wants to get out in the heat of the day and take a Q-tip and go around and try to touch every one, and there may be oh. thousands of those mealybugs, yeah. uh, yeah. then, <laughs> then no. whoever's got time to do that needs to get a life. <laughs> more well, what about that, that insecticidal soap bug? You put it on in the evening? Uh, either early morning or in the evening. Makes no difference which. Uh, it basically smothers the mealybug is what it does. But uh, totally harmless to the bees, totally harmless to you, totally harmless to kids and grandkids and pets. Uh, so it's uh, it's really a very, very good product. It just doesn't kill quite as quickly as some of the things. And, of course, you know me, I'm all for natural controls. And uh, if it weren't for the bees, there would be other things I would suggest. But uh, to protect the bees, the insecticidal soap is going to be harmless to them, and especially since you're going to be spraying probably after they're active. Uh, just give them a good coating, thorough coating, repeat it in a week, and then do it a third time, and that should totally get the mealybugs under control. In the meantime, go ahead and fertilize. It's probably a salvia indigo spires is what I'm, or rather uh, a, a salvia, the Mexican bush sage leucantha, if it's uh if it's lavender purple, if it's a rich blue purple, then it's probably indigo spires. But in in either case, uh, uh, the insecticidal soap will be harmless to the plant, but it will get the mealybugs under control. Very good. Appreciate your help there. Always well, appreciate uh, hearing from you, Jordan. Have a good day, and uh, uh, God bless the United States of America. Amen to that, brother. And. Uh, uh, get out and do a rain dance. <laughs> that's that's the only thing missing from my world right now is a little bit of moisture. But uh, this too will pass. My, it's gonna rain. I got I got my rain stick out here on the patio. Well, you wave it around a bunch, and we'll talk again. Ah, let's go ahead and talk to Ross. Uh, good morning, Ross. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. What's going on? Yeah. Well, I just say, what would you think if I told you that my Cherokee purple is setting fruit in this heat? I would say uh, you're doing something right, and uh, <laughs> I would be saving a seed from that plant, assuming the fruit goes ahead and ripens and is of the usual top quality. Um, if you, if it is something that. Uh, is in the genetics of the plant that might potentially be passed from one generation to the next. Uh, you could uh, you could have something really good there, or you may just have uh, some unusual situation going on in your garden that the Cherokee purple is deciding to set, even when the nighttime temperatures are so high. But in any event, it's a good thing, and um, I, you know I, I envy you. <laughs> Very few people are setting fruit on big fruited tomatoes right now. Yeah, um, I tried something I found on uh, YouTube, uh, Electroculture. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. It's um, it something that was discovered back in the early 1900s, okay. and it just kind of faded away, but it's so simple. You just take um, some copper wire, 
and make a coil around a like a bamboo pole or a mm-hmm. dowel or something like that, mm-hmm. and stick it next to the pot, and it draws the natural energy of the earth, and it kind of like deposits it into the soil of soil that the plant is sitting in. Mm. And I'm doing it with three tomatoes right now, and every the Cherokee purple is setting fruit, and the two other ones are half flowers on them. That's interesting. That's interesting. There, there are lots of things we don't understand. We know that plants respond to different things. That's a little bit, uh, like I say, that's just that's not something I've heard of. But well, Phil Callahan showed us that plants respond to magnetism or paramagnetism which is just mm-hmm. a very low level of magnetic energy and uh i just you know there's just a lot of interesting things out there and a lot of things have been discovered and then forgotten and so uh please keep me posted on your experiments i uh it, it sounds very interesting and i've just wrote down electroculture i will uh i'll be checking it out and apparently uh what i the research i've been doing it can work on practically any plant. Hmm. And it does it work directly on the plant, or does it work to uh, improve something, probably through microbial life in the soil? What is it, or do they make any suggestion as to what the mode of action is? It, um, it just draws energy, um, or it reacts like having a good lightning storm. You know, everything hmm. perks up after a good storm. Uh-huh. As, um, these things are, you know, in this heat, are sitting out in full sun, and only then additional water because of the heat. Um, sure. I haven't had to put it using fertilizer. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, well, just give it pure water. You know, old uh, Mr. Tesla came up with some real good things related to energy, and it sounds like this is another one worth looking at. Ross, I appreciate you, appreciate you sharing with us. Yeah, I mean, it's, you just, Go to YouTube or you just Google it, and there's lots of information out there about it. I'll be doing it after the show today, and uh, we'll compare notes. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. uh, Certainly, uh, let me get a break in here, and we'll be back to some more interesting phone calls. Speaking of metal, speaking of interesting, I get to talk to you about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, and uh, that's another thing that's going to very definitely be good for your home, good for your pocketbook, going to work to keep you cooler in the summer, warmer in the winter. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems are so much more than just a good-looking lifetime quality roof. They're super energy efficient, and I don't know about your CPS bill, but uh, the people who don't have a good metal roof on their home, like Southwest Metal Roofing Systems puts on, they're paying much higher uh, utility bills every month. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems uh, also is such a good roof that most insurance companies will give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance because they know they're not going to have to pay for a lot of storm damage. I mean, on our roof here on Shades of Green, great Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof, we have baseball-sized hail and I mean, you have to work to find even the tiniest little dimple. That kind of hail would have totally destroyed a shingle roof. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roofs are very, very reasonably priced as well, and they are truly the last roof you will ever put on your home. They're good-looking. They come in a range of colors. If you don't like just bright-standing seam metal, 
There are even uh, roofs that don't, well, they don't look like standing seam. They are look more like ceramic tile or slate shingles or even cedar-shaped shingles. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems can provide you with a roof you will love the appearance of. and You will also love all the good things it, do, it does. You will love the durability. And keep in mind that they do new construction as well as roof replacement. So if you're in the building process, just tell your builder you want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on your home. You'll be glad you did for years to come. Learn more by giving them a call, 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. The next two callers are going to be Worthy and Alexis. Worthy's up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Uh, Good morning. Nice Texas uh, early morning, uh, (laughs) nice weather outside for a few hours. Uh, I called in a couple of, a few weeks ago, uh, converting my uh, yard from Bermuda to San Augustine, and we had a short discussion about that. I had to use plugs uh, to save a little bit of money and uh, had the plugs put in, and I've been watering daily. Uh, the gentleman that put the line in, uh, advised me with the temperatures being what they are. Of course, I picked a great time to, to do this job. But, uh, <laughs> At least my, you had somebody else do the work instead of doing it yourself. So yeah. that, that shows, uh, shows a number of brain cells active there. Yeah. Well, I tell you, yeah, I, I could, uh, and I've got a long list in my, in my long life of, uh, of, of poor decisions, but anyway, uh, <laughs> A couple of questions for you. Uh, I've been watering now uh, seven, it'll be seven days in a row tonight. Uh, just wondering how long I need to continue. I was told seven to ten days for those to start taking root. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to, we're in some water restrictions, though, where sure. I live at, where we haven't gone down to level four, but I'm concerned about the amount of water I'm using. I, I, oh, absolutely. I yeah, yeah. I have a water uh, sprinkler system, and so uh, any advice on that? And then my second question to you is I have an area uh, that I left open. I did not put the San Augustine. I'm having some issues in a back quarter of my backyard. Uh, the grass keeps dying. Uh, I've had my canopies thinned down on my oak trees, but for whatever reason, I've got one area that uh, the grass just doesn't want to grow there so i was looking to putting down some kind of ground cover uh it's right next to an in-ground swimming pool so i don't want something there that's going to attract a lot of bees and other things that sure. uh sure. uh you know so what what would you recommend something colorful that i could just uh you know do a little rake uh, job on the soil and throw some stuff out there and uh <laughs> give, me a per- give me give me give me a pretty area instead of uh looking at dirt well, there are lots of things you could plant out there. I take it this is, is this a shadier area around your pool? Yes, it is. Okay. And I, I don't want to trim, you know, it provides nice protection from the sun, and I don't sure. want to, you know, trim it out so much that we're getting uh, people lit up again from the sun. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so whatever will survive a very shady area. Well, there, there are lots of different things. Unfortunately, not a whole lot of them 
are heavy, heavy bloomers, but uh, there's not really anything I would tell you would be like a flat vine. Something like Asian jasmine uh, would do very well if you just wanted a durable, tough ground cover. Asiatic jasmine would be beautiful, uh, okay. but it's not going to give you flowers of any sort. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's fine. I'm just looking for something to cover up the dirt. The You could do a very attractive combination. I mean, if you want to make Asian jasmine your your basic ground cover, then you could plant in amongst that. Uh, you could plant a little clump of, say, holly fern. You could plant a little clump of uh, aspidistra, cast iron plant. Uh, you could plant a bit of uh, shrimp plant, which is going to grow well in the shade, be very colorful with blooms, and very cold-hardy as well. Uh, there are a couple of different salvias. There's one called eyelash sage, and they're called smooth leaf sage, which may freeze down in the winter but come back out but have beautiful bright red flowers in the summer months. Uh, there's another one called tropical sage that does the same thing. Uh, there are, gosh, the list just goes on and on toward the edges where you get the most light. You could uh, probably plant some either dark blue or white plumbago in amongst your Asian jasmine. I, what I think is going to be prettiest is going to be just what we would call a perennial bed. Put your Asian jasmine in as a ground cover. And if you say, gosh, well, I just don't want to do any, any real hard work, uh, just, again, plant some durable perennials in with it, and you'll have, uh, you'll have the beautiful area you want uh, with a very low water use area and a very low maintenance area. So, yeah, I think this is very, very doable. But, uh, All right. And backing back, going back around to the grass, I yeah. would go out and I would just, you know, go somewhere, just a random spot out there, pick one of these plugs of grass and just grab it like you're grabbing somebody by the hair and pick it up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it, stay, if it feels firmly attached to the ground, you know you've got some good roots. If it feels loosely attached, go ahead and pull it up and see how much root growth you have gotten. But uh, I, I think that you are to the point now you can certainly back it off to every other day watering. Uh, have you put any okay. fertilizer on? Uh, well, I had it when I put it in. I had put fertilizer down when I uh, actually put the, but I have not done anything since then. Okay. Well, if you, you know, of course, you don't want to use synthetic fertilizers. They increase water uptake, and you don't, uh, you know, I don't think you should ever use them, but certainly not until a, Grass has a good root system, but um, I, you, you could use something like one of the Hastergrow liquid products, the Hastergrow, what they call Hastergrow plant. You could go back, you can put that in a sprayer on the end of your hose, and uh, okay. it's not going to take you but a very few minutes. And if you do that every couple of weeks, that's going to really speed up the rooting of the grass. And uh, no, okay. I would say at this point, you could almost certainly back it off to every other day. Um, okay. Another week or ten days, you can back it off to every third or fourth day, and uh, within within a month, you'll be able to you know go down to once a week watering. Just remember what I always say is that there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So be sure when you water that you're not just watering for ten minutes. Be sure you're watering enough to get some good moisture into the soil, but then don't water it again until the soil's good and dry on the surface. So um, you'll have to be the judge of how often that is. Yeah. Okay. Well, right now I'm doing, uh, I have nine zones and I'm doing 20 minutes 
per per zone per day. Yep. So and with I, with I'll grass go. that has very few roots, that's probably adequate. But you're going to want to decrease the frequency, but increase the length. Uh, you're just yeah. going to kind of start lowering one and building the other up. And uh, mm-hmm. within a month or six weeks, she'll be down to watering weekly and probably, you know, working to put down an inch of water at a time, and you'll have the prettiest yard in the neighborhood. Okay. That sounds good. What What is, what is the name of that uh, fertilizer again, the liquid fertilizer? It's a fast-acting liquid that is called Hastagro Plant. They make a Hastagro Plant and a Hastagro Lawn, and you say, well, I've got a lawn. Well, you don't want to use that till you have a good root system down. Right now, the Hastagro Plant is a little bit milder fertilizer, that's going to work at building those roots. You're not you're not trying to get a lot of growth out of the top at this point. You're trying to get a good root system. So the Hestergrow plant is going to be uh, the one that I would choose. Okay, spell that for me. We I, I can't. I mean, you sound like you're saying has to grow, but I don't. Uh, how do you spell it's, that? It's just like it sounds. H a s t a has to grow. I think it's just G R O. I'd have to look at a bottle. Okay. But it okay. has, has to grow. grow. It's by Medina, but you'll see one that says has to grow lawn. You'll see another one that and says has to grow plant. plant. You want the one yeah. that says plant. Yeah, gotcha. Well, I'll grab that uh, tomorrow then and get that sprayed in. Well, listen, sir, I appreciate your time and uh, the information, and uh, I'm looking forward to having my San Augustine lawn instead of that. In my opinion, ugly Bermuda. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm with you, and you can uh, sit in that pool with a cool beverage in your hand and look up there and smile. So uh, you get out and have a wonderful day. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Certainly. Goodbye. Uh, Greg, let's go ahead and talk to Alexis. Uh, Good morning, Alexis. Hi there. You there? Good morning. Hi there. I'm right here. How are you? Oh, good. Oh, great. Good. I'm well. I'm outside. It's a gorgeous day. I have a few questions. One is about an oak tree that I think is too near the house and that has all sorts of, I think you talked about the little sprouts around them for mm-hmm. growing up, and they've been growing for many years. It's, it's almost like a flower bed of sprouts. It's about oh. six feet long and a couple feet deep. And I thought, oh, let me get those dug up this summer. Oh, and someone said no <laughs> for the oak wilt. It would be bad, right? Well, it's just they'll come right back. Um, they are a natural thing for a live oak to do when that tree is stressed, and every live oak in the, Texas is stressed by the weather right now. So, um, I mean, and I've gone through, <laughs> I did this not too long ago, uh, in one of, uh, you know, in a yard, and within six weeks they were back just as thick as they've ever been. So I'm going to tell you, don't waste your time if the weather you know, becomes a little bit kinder with moisture and all, uh, they will diminish. But as long as we're in this hot, dry period, I would just mow them off. My friends that I trust in the arboriculture business tell me that there's virtually no danger of uh, oak wilt that way. But you get out with, oh. if you're using a line trimmer, be sure you're using what's called diamond line. It'll cut much better, or you can just mow it off. But thinking you're going to eliminate them is is uh, wishful thinking. They're going to be there as long okay. as you have a live oak. You're going to have the oak sprouts. But uh, uh, and how close is the tree to your home? Well, about two feet away, and okay. it's kind of leaning, so I'm worried about it. But um, and basically, the the oaks, the the sprouts are really what was probably once a flower bed. And yeah. they're like many inches deep, so they've been left alone a long time. I, <laughs> and that was the best but, soil yeah. in the yard, probably, so I'm not really surprised at all. Your home is on a slab? Yes. 
Yeah. I don't let anybody tell you it's going to wreck your foundation or anything. You need to cut it down. It's going to grow roots right up to the foundation. They're going to spread out along the foundation. And uh, I, you know, I'm always a little concerned about it rubbing on the uh, soffits, rubbing on the edge of the roof. But uh, don't let somebody who doesn't know better start telling you it's going to be bad for your home. I've seen my friend Ed Etter has taken the air spade and, you know, totally exposed an area like that. And you'd be amazed the number of roots that are up against the foundation, but they're not going underneath it. If the house was there first, the tree was planted later, then uh, that should not be a concern for you. Very cool. Okay. So my question, though, I mean, what I noticed today is there's a mushroom that my plant identifier says is bracket polypores. Okay. And uh, on the on this oak, between the oak and the cement of what was once the bed that's now sort of broken in. And uh, is that a problem? Is it just coming up from the soil? Yes. It's just a sign you have... Soil uh, and oak. Yeah, you have lots of organic material in the soil. The fungi, uh, mushroom is in a group of fungus uh, called uh, Basidiomycetes, and they simply live on decaying organic material in the soil. And when they decide it's time to reproduce, they put up the cap, which we call the mushroom or toadstool or whatever else. That is nothing more than a sign that uh, you have lots of decaying organic material in the soil, which is a good thing. Okay, and not a rotting thing in the tree. No, no, not not anything. If it were on the trunk of the tree, we might have a little more concern. But uh, out in the... It is. It's what now? It's on the the trunk. It's on the side of the tree. I get an arborist to take a look at it. Um, it's probably not a big issue, but, um, are you here in San Antonio? Yes. Um, I'm going to grab my phone here. Near Bernie, near Bernie. Okay. Um, I want you to call David Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N. And, uh, he is like a consulting arborist. He doesn't have anything to sell you except a little bit of his time, but, um, uh, what I would suggest you do is call David and ask if you can just uh, send him a picture of this, and he can probably tell you everything you need to know, and uh, you can trust what he tells you. Like I said, he's not a he. He worked for many years Good. for the best arborist in San Antonio, and this is uh, David's the guy that teaches the classes that other arborists have to take, uh, so he knows his stuff. But he's not out to sell you something. But uh, do you have a pencil there? Yes, I do. I wrote it down, and I've heard you mention him before, so I yeah. trust. Well, his, his phone number is 210-788-4982. Uh-huh. Send him a photograph and see what he would suggest. All right, beautiful. I've, I do have one more question. Okay. We, we have a bunch of peacocks around here, and they've caused a lot of expensive trouble to things I've tried to plant in the past few years. Uh-huh. And so, uh, yeah, you can imagine. And um, I I read, like, I sometimes I read about what to do about them, and there seems to be really nothing. But I, on this one obscure, you know, group chat, someone mentioned cocoa hulls as mulch. And uh, so I did buy the cocoa hulls, and they were pricey, and they are now in this sort of raised bed in front of the place. And I dog? noticed that when I – no. I mean, we have okay. dogs, but they do not get near them. Yes. Because that stuff is highly toxic. That stuff will kill a dog. Huh. Well, there are neighborhood dogs. Maybe then I should even put a warning up. I. It's just there's something about chocolate that's attractive to them, but uh, it can be deadly. So I think it should be outlawed. But um, 
Oh, anyway. really? Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, dear. Okay. All right. Well, I noticed that the, well, it hasn't really repelled. The, I mean, I think that it's true the peacocks don't sit on it anymore, mm-hmm. but they are still walking around on it and eating my, you know, still eating even the Lantana horridus, which is supposed right. to be the most, yep. the best one to plant. But I, I don't have any ideas about the peacocks. You might look, uh, I mean, it sounds disgusting, but you might look at one of the predatory urine products. They make a uh, coyote urine product. I don't know about peacock's sense of smell, but I know this stuff works very well at keeping deer and other things away because that's, you know, a, quite a predator to them. But that's what I would be, that's what I would be looking at to start. And I'll, I'll ask, in fact, I'll make a note to ask Howard Garrett tweak about a peacock repellent and uh, see if he has faced that in the many people he's worked with. But that would be, I would be looking for one of the repellents that's based on uh, coyote urine or something like that. Okay, good. And I got the messenger against the cocoa hulls. Wow. Yeah. Yep. All right. I'll put up a little sign or tell the neighbors. Yeah. All now right. there is okay. a co- coconut husk product that's called Core, C-O-I-R. And that's just fine. Yeah. That's coconut fiber. But the cocoa mulch is actually made from the cocoa plant that chocolate is made from. It smells like chocolate, definitely. Oh, yeah. And it is highly, highly toxic to dogs and cats. So uh, um, it's just, you're going to, it's not a good thing. Okay. All right. Got the message. Thank you so much. You're certainly welcome. Appreciate the call. Thank you, Alexis. All right, uh, pause here for a minute and talk about a really great man. It's just fun when you, among your circle of friends, you have so many competent people that you can enjoy visiting with. Like, I had a long visit with Dr. Kirby this morning, actually, very early in the morning when I was uh, dropping one of my pets over there. And don't get to talk to him as often, but Dr. Williamson is sort of the best of the world in uh, when it comes to dentistry and oral health and things like that, but just an exceptionally nice guy, too. The point is, if you're looking for a new dentist, maybe you're new to town, maybe your dentist has retired, maybe you just want to visit with someone who is sort of an all-in-one guy. I mean, most new dentists these days, they're taught in dental school. If it's anything beyond just a filling or a cleaning, you probably ought to just refer it out to a specialist. Well, that's not the way Dr. Williamson practices. He is the specialist, worked with uh, Dr. Staffel for many years, and uh, this guy can solve just, I can't imagine an oral health problem you could have that he couldn't take care of right there in his office. And uh, But the atmosphere over there, you just have to meet him, meet his staff to really experience it. It's just a whole different environment. He's not focused on the next patient. He's focused on you. He is concerned about your oral health. He will take the time that it takes to learn about you. He wants to know about you and your family. It's just, it, it's just a much different environment than what you find in many medical practices these days. And the skill level is just off the charts. He is so broadly trained and has so much experience with uh, just about every oral health issue you could imagine. If you're thinking, uh, like say if you're new to town or maybe your dentist is retired or you've moved to the other part of town or whatever, uh, Dr. Williamson is right out in the northwest part of San Antonio, just north of Blue Port 10, just east of 16, uh, just east of I-10. So uh, right there, real easy to find, very convenient uh, place off Cherry Ridge Drive. Anyway, if you're looking for a really great dentist and a good friend as well, you need to check out the offices of Dr. Mark Williamson and Associates, 341-2569. It's the phone number 210 210- 
341-2569. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It is going to be Jay and Jim and Chris and Suzanne. See, I told you it was going to get real busy on those phone lines a little later. Ah, let's get started with Jay. Good morning, Jay. Morning. Good morning. My, qu- my question is, is I've got an Esperanda uh, that we bought at Phoenix. It was probably only 10 inches tall, uh-huh. about two feet tall now. The wife wants to know if we can, it's in a pot, mm-hmm. so can we plant it or do we need Absolutely. To Absolutely. No, it's, you're not going to disturb the root system just taking it out of the pot and putting it in the ground. If it were already planted in your yard and you wanted to dig it up and move it somewhere else, I'd tell you, no, it's too hot. Wait till fall. Uh, but the best time to plant that plant is going to be as soon as Dr. Kirby and I go off the air at noon today. <laughs> no, literally, the sooner you get it into the ground, the easier it's going to be to maintain. It's actually going to be under less stress in the ground than it is in the pot. So there's absolutely no reason to wait to plant it. Is it the bright yellow one? No, actually, it's the uh, the orange one. Okay, it's going to stay a little more compact. The yellow one would grow 15 feet tall. The orange one's probably going to only grow 6 or 7 feet tall. So uh, it's a great plant. It'll bloom all summer. I would mulch it uh, in the winter especially. It may freeze back, but it should come back from year to year. Uh, It's going to be one of the most colorful things in your yard. Great choice. Yeah, we have a yellow one that's, I don't know, it's about 5 foot tall already. And it's just getting started. But they freeze yeah. back, you know, in the winter, but sometimes they look like they're not coming back and they finally start sprouting. But I don't know what happened on the other side. We had another one and I never could get that thing to grow or anything. And it finally kicked the bucket. So she wanted to go with a different color. So oh, that's what we're well, do. the orange one's a, a good choice. It's not going to get as big. It's going to be a little bit more spreading, not quite as upright, but uh, it'll be a great plant for you. Plant it in a good sunny spot. What about fertilizer? Uh, same thing you put on your other one. I would be using a liquid product, at least initially, like Hastergrow Plant or the new Hastergrow Liquid Fish Blend. Uh, once it's well established, you can switch over and just use the same dry fertilizer you use on your yard. Is it, what are the numbers, you know, like 10, 20? Don't pay, don't pay any attention to the numbers. Uh, oh. The numbers have become meaningless. The numbers tell you how much of a given nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium are the three numbers. And the numbers tell you how much of that is in the fertilizer, but they don't tell you how much the plants can get to. Uh, The synthetic fertilizers, let's see, you've got a 20-10-10. All of that 20% nitrogen is very rapid release. Your plants are lucky to get 2% of the nitrogen, uh, 10% of what's there. Uh, because it is so fast release and the rest of it just washes away and pollutes. Uh, when you're dealing with an organic product, uh, if it says 2% or if it says 5% or if it says 3% nitrogen, the plants get 100% of that nitrogen. So an organic fertilizer where the first number is a 3 is actually going to give you more nutrient to your plants than a 20% nitrogen fertilizer that's a synthetic type. 
Uh, we could spend 30 minutes and I give me a blackboard and I'll show you about anions and cations and positive and negative charges in the soil and everything else. But to me, the, the numbers have just become meaningless because what's important is what the nutrients are derived from and how much nutrition your plants are going to get. So uh, go with a good company, Medina, Maestro Grow, uh, Nature's Creation, or somewhere like that, and uh, don't worry about what the numbers are. If you want to read, you'll see differences in water-soluble and water-insoluble nitrogen and ammoniacal nitrogen. There, There's lots of information on the label, but um, um, we've got to where, gotten to where just the the numbers are just a gimmick to try to tell you to buy something that's not going to be as good for your plants. Okay. Thank you very much for the information. Have a good day. You do the same, sir. Thank you. All right, uh, I'm afraid we need to get a get another break in here real quickly, so hang on, guys, um, and we'll be right back with more phone calls. Looks like I get to talk to you about Fanix Nursery, which I love to do. Fanix Nursery is, I'm certain, the only oldest nursery in San Antonio, close to 90 years now, sitting over on that same piece of ground on Home Green Road, southeast San Antonio. Uh, they're just about two blocks off W.W. White. In fact, Home Green Road did ends into the nursery. Fanix is stocked. You would not believe how many figs they have right now. And today they've got a sale going on. This will be the last day of the sale, but uh, I believe it's 30% off. Uh, but anyway, if you're looking to plant figs, you can save a bunch of money if you get over to Phoenix this afternoon. You're also going to find they have a tremendous selection of bananas, amazing selection of crepe myrtles, lots and lots of plants that qualify for the Saws Water Saver Rebate Program. This just goes on and on. They've got their fall vegetables in, tomatoes and peppers and such. And, of course, uh, in addition to all the plants, they've got those organic gardening products we talk about, the fertilizers, the soil builders, the mulch compost. They also have some, I guess you'd say, totally different lines nowadays. They carry Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories, and plus they've got that wonderful lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment from uh, Ego. I just, it's so much fun to go see Fanex. With 10 acres of nursery, you'll spend some time wandering around being tempted. They're open seven days a week to serve you. And if you want more information, check out their website at Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Jim is next in line. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Bob. How you doing this morning? Off to a good start. It's a beautiful sunny and, day out there. Yeah, no kidding. It's starting to heat up already. Yes, so sir. I got about three three quick questions for you. I don't want to tie up too long. Um, my wife has a we put a mulberry bush in probably six okay. months ago, and it was about eight inches tall. Now it's about four feet tall, but it's going straight up, and there's no shoots. And we're you know we're kind of it's lanky. You know we've got it staked out and all that kind of stuff. We're one. Exactly when this thing's going to get beefy, what should we do, loosen it up, or, you know, let this is thing it, flap more? Is, is it in full sun? Uh, well, partial sun. It gets afternoon sun, a lot of it. Okay, well, the more sun, the better. Would you rather have, okay. a, bush or, would you rather have a bush or a tree? I'd rather have a tree, you know me. <laughs> yes, <I'd rather. laughs> well, then don't complain about it being straight up. It, uh, okay. All this right. is this is its natural thing. If you wanted a bush, I'd tell you to cut six inches off the top of it. If you want uh-huh. a tree, and it doesn't make a big tree, it gets maybe fifteen feet tall at most. Right. It's not real happy here. You're going to have some issues with it, but we'll talk about that another time. But okay. um, 
in the winter months when the leaves are off of it, what you're going uh-huh. to do is uh, you're going to leave the one tallest, straightest uh, trunk, in effect, to make a trunk. The other uh-huh. limbs and things that are coming off, you're not going to cut them all the way off. You're going to cut them back to about six inches long because you okay. want leaves all the way up and down the trunk. That's what's going to give you okay. the strongest, biggest trunk most quickly. But for now, okay. you just focus on water and fertilizer and uh don't be terribly surprised if you have some spotting show up in the leaves, and by the end of the summer, if the leaves look no, we've not, already we've already got that, but it's it's just shooting up so fast. We're trying trying to catch yeah. up with it. No, right, the disease is called. Two. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, question number two. I don't want to keep you too long. I've got ligustrums. Have been here for thirty years, I guess, and they, they took a hit when the freeze came on. Um, can I cut these things back because we got shoots coming out of the bottom of them, but the tops look like them, and you know. Uh, and these are the these are wax leaf ligustrum, not Japanese. The one with the kind of shiny leaves. Uh, these don't have shiny leaves. These are probably the regular ligustrums. Do We're down have, here in Victoria, so but uh, they put them in, and I mean they look scraggly. Do are, do so they what, have uh, do they have purple berries in the spring and summer no. months? Okay, no then it is, it is the wax leaf. Uh, cut, okay. you cut off anything that looks dead, uh, anything that is just struggling, leave it alone for now because even if it's got just a little bit of green in the leaf, it's still helping the plant. Those okay. you will cut back in the middle of the winter or very early spring. But anything that is leafless and looks totally dead, yeah, go ahead and cut that back to make it look better. Uh, Be on a regular fertilizing program and, of course, deep watering probably on a weekly basis. Okay. All right, very good. The third question is, my wife says she wants a tree that grows fast, and I'm sitting there going, like, how fast? At my age, she she wants a good tree. She wants to put in the front yard. I'm laughing because she said they they don't just spring up overnight. So do you have any suggestions down here for Victoria? She wants to put a a tree here. Um, Check out out Mexican sycamore. Mexican Mexican sycamore sycamore is... A super okay. fast-growing tree that's uh, okay. you know going to give you 50 years of good growth, so that's probably enough for most folks. But okay. um, that that is going to be it'll take a little extra water, um, but okay. that's going to be the fastest-growing, reasonable quality shade tree. If she would prefer an oak tree, the so-called Mexican live oak, um, also Mexican known as Monterey oak. oak. Uh, it's it's the fastest growing of the oaks. It will be evergreen most winters, and uh, that's going to be the fastest growing of the oak family. But uh, uh-huh. if she just wants, and I'm, you know, we've got two of them side by side here that were planted at the same time about 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, the uh-huh. oak's a beautiful tree, about 20 feet tall. The sycamore's a beautiful tree, about 40 feet tall. So, um, yeah. Okay. All right, Bob. Well, I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. Appreciate the call. Thank you very much. You're Have welcome, Jim. You too. Thank you. Only about 30 seconds till news time here. So, uh, Chris and Suzanne, you guys will be up first after the news break. I want to remind you, uh, fall tomatoes are in at your nurseries along with peppers. would be a good idea to get them in the ground, but would also be a good idea to give them a little bit of shade from this hot, hot afternoon sun. You can do it with shade cloth. You can do it with uh, frost cloth like insulate. I just put the tomato cage in place, even though the tomato plants are little, Wrap a little insulate around it, and that uh, will keep off the drying winds and keep off the hot sun. But uh, if you're going to get a crop of fall tomatoes, you need to get those plants in the ground, fairly certain. There is that and so much more to talk about, and we'll get right back to it after the news here on KTSA Radio. (laughs) 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Let's get back to gardening here. It's going to be Chris and Suzanne and Glenn and Rosa. Uh, it looks like Chris is first in line. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks I for calling. Uh, okay. I got some palmetto grass this weekend, and it wasn't as fresh as they said it was going to be. Uh, the top layer was kind of bunch. Uh, uh-huh. question I have is, how do I know it's palmetto? Okay. Because they uh, Palmetto is a dwarfer, uh, St. Augustine. The blades will be a bit shorter. It, it's hard, you know, unless you've done this for your whole life, uh, it, unless you're looking at it side-by-side side with one of the taller varieties, Floritam or whatever, um, it's just it, it's more compact. It's more dense. I would not be at all concerned if the top layer is uh, a bit burnt because it was up there sitting out in the sun. It's what the inner layers look like. And as long as they are green, as long as they're not yellowed, um, have you gotten the grass planted? Yeah, I put it in yesterday. There was some okay. yellowing in there. Uh, yeah. There's some fungus right in the center of the pallets. Yeah. Um, again, I, I would probably go ahead and proactively uh, put out some cornmeal, just horticultural cornmeal. I would just sure. dust it over the area. That's going to knock out any any fungus issues that are there. Yeah, you're right. It's not as fresh as, uh, as it should have been if you're seeing any of that. But um, yeah. uh, as long as you did, did you walk, did you roll it after you got it down? Uh, yes, I, I watered it and was stepping on it at the same time. Water well, kept down on, kept doing that over and over again. If you do it again, spend the ten dollars and go out and rent one of these water fillable rollers. You can fill them up, and they weigh about two hundred and fifty pounds. And right. you just go back and forth over the top. You're not leveling it; you're just pressing the air pockets out, yes. and uh, yes. that 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 just gets the grass off to a really really good start. Uh, go ahead whenever you're ready and fertilize with a good organic fertilizer, Medina, Maestro, Nature's Creation, any of them. Everybody always says, oh, we got to leave it in six weeks. Well, back in the days when everything we used was synthetic fertilizers, yeah, you had to let the roots get started. Uh, with the organics, though, they help from day one getting those roots established. So um, probably going to be watering daily for a week or so, and then you can gradually start weaning it back. But um, uh if your grass is, say, 90% green, uh, it's going to take off and grow for you. It's going to be a little slow because the compensation point is so high with the heat, but uh, the roots will grow, even though you're not going to see a whole lot of top growth until fall. Uh, the roots are going to take off and grow because the soil is cooler than the air, and that's what you're really looking for at this point anyway. Now, you said on has to grow plant, uh, you can put that on to start the root growth a little bit better. What's the uh, uh, ounces per gallon? Uh, it'll tell you on there. It's generally about an ounce per gallon. And if you want to use a liquid, you can certainly do that. If it's more convenient for you to use a granule, um, then uh, you can go with, uh, they make a, a uh, 
product they call Growing Green. Medina makes a good one. Uh, Maestro Grow makes one they call Texas Tea. Nature's Recreation makes one they call Premium Lawn and Garden Food. You do whichever is convenient for you. My earlier caller had put in plugs, and I think in that yeah. case the liquid would have been far better uh, than the dry. But in your case, I think you can use whichever one's most convenient for you, and you'll do very well with it. Can I use both of them? Because I do have some fertilizer. Put that down and still put some uh, uh, grow plant liquid oh, yeah. on there? Absolutely. As long as the fertilizer you have is a uh, an organic product, not a synthetic well, one. I, Number... I, Go. Yeah, I got it from y'all. It's okay. uh, the one that does smell like uh, cow manure and, and all the other stuff. that newer one that y'all have. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'll be fine. Put that down and follow it up with grow plant and... Uh, You'll have a beautiful yard this fall. Okay. And cornmeal, uh, 40-pound bag, because uh, I got two pallets, which is uh, what's about 700 uh, square feet. Yeah. So 40-pound yeah. bag. Half a, pa- half a bag would be plenty. Half a bag, half do a it bag. now, and then put maybe put the other half on in about two or three weeks, and uh, okay. uh, you should have no problems with fungus. All right. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. It's my pleasure always. Thanks for the call, Chris. Ah, next in line is Suzanne. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning. I'm Good morning. I'm so excited I got through. I think I might forget my questions, but let me get started. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, um, my mountain laurels and my agapanthus did not bloom this spring. And I'm wondering, are we supposed to give them some fertilizer? I know the mountain laurels probably not. What well, do you think? The- Everything needs fertilizer. Everything will grow better if it's fertilized. Mountain laurels don't have to have it. It just depends on whether you want them to grow slowly or whether you want them to grow quickly. Um, Are your agapanthus out in full hot sun? No, they are in dappled sun. Okay. So Um, Probably the lack of flowers was due to that real cold spell we had in January. Um, agapanthus, even though they look a little bit more tender, believe it or not, they would love that full blazing all day sun. I hope it's good and bright. If they don't bloom for you next spring, going to have to think about moving them out where they get more sun because uh, they're not a shade plant. Uh, they need several hours of sun to bloom well, but I certainly certainly wouldn't move anything this time of year. But let's see how they do as far as blooming. Your mount laurels, yeah, I go ahead and put the same dry fertilizer on you'd be putting on your grass and. Uh, um, there's no reason, assuming, which maybe is a big assumption, but that we have a more typical winter. The fact that we're back in, into an El Nino pattern means that we are less likely to have severe cold and uh, should get a good crop of blooms on your Mount Laurel this next time around. Last year was just, uh, last winter was just kind of an anomaly. We got the kind of weather we only expect every 30 years. We got it two out of three years, so let's hope things mm-hmm. go back the other direction. I hope. Well, and one quick question about, um, oh, what is that stuff called? Uh, goldenrod. I have a goldenrod invasion. I thought they were so pretty to cut and use in arrangements, but now they have taken over and they just grow so and, fast. Oh, they do. And is this in your yard? Is this in an open field? Where... It's in a bed, a flower bed. And I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to have to dig them all out, or how do you get rid of them? Oh, I, them wait. I was thinking about moving them out in an open field. I, but, you'll, never, you'll never be rid of them trying to dig them out because 
they uh, make so much seed that you're just you're literally wasting your time. I would uh, uh, sometime probably over the fall, I'd put two or three inches of mulch on that bed. Like most wildflower seed of, of just about every sort, it really needs to be up close to the surface of the ground where it gets plenty of sunlight. Uh, putting a couple inches of compost over that, it's going to have a natural pre-emergent effect, and it's really going to suppress the sprouting of the seed. You'll probably have a few of them sprout, but not any great number of them. The few of them that do sprout, you can pull up, and uh, you'll pretty much be rid of them. But uh, you'd be wasting your time to try to pull them now because they've already put down plenty of seed for next year. Okay, so you don't suggest spraying them with the vinegar and oil? No, no. Enjoy the flowers while they're there, and then if you want to pull them up, you can, but uh, that's not going to solve next year's problem. Next year's problem we're going to solve with a couple of inches or much or compost, but uh, absolutely no reason to try to kill them. That's not going to make any less seed uh-huh. or anything, and you're cheating yourself out of the reason you planted them. Uh, okay, well, that sounds a little easier. Thank you. <laughs> you are certainly welcome. What else can I do for you? That's it. Thanks. Have a great day. You do the same, Suzanne. Thanks for calling this morning. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. Goodbye. Uh, Glenn is next in line. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. How are you? Off to a good start. It's uh, uh, it's a sunny day out there, and it's going to be hot this afternoon, but it's um, I, I can't think of any. Well, I can't think of a couple of places I'd rather be, like Wyoming, but uh, right now it's just a good South Texas morning. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is, and it's been pretty consistent. But a couple of couple of questions. Um, I've I've got uh, some strawberry plants that I planted. I planted, you know, not too many, eight of them, four of uh-huh. the ever bearing and four of the uh, annual bearing strawberries. And um, I've, I've been using shade cloth. Uh, I've been watering them every two to three days, but I've had a couple of them actually look like they've died on me. Um, what, I mean, is the shade cloth an issue? Is the... No, no, you almost have to have that. Strawberries, they don't like 108 degrees. And were they established, then, you know, they would probably take it. As new plants, um, it's just it's been it's been a tough year, and strawberries are on the borderline of whether it's too hot for them uh, here or not. Now you get down in the sandier soil, you get down toward Divine and Poteet and places like that. Uh, they're not doing anywhere nearly as well as they would in uh, coastal California right now. But uh, new plants, I think, it's probably just been a bad summer to try to get them established. Uh, watering probably every other day is adequate. I'd be feeding pretty often liquid fertilizer, probably like has to grow or the new liquid fish blend. But um, I, fall should be a much better time for them. But I don't think it's anything you've done or failed to do. I think this has just been a, you know, 108 degree summer. It's just a little bit much to expect a strawberry to get started. Okay. Well, I'll I'll just maintain what I've been doing. I could probably fertilize a little more, but yeah, yeah, do it every couple of every couple of weeks at least, and leave your shade cloth on till probably the first of October, and then pull that off. Okay, and then uh, I've got I've got three sun goals that I started from seed, mm-hmm. and they've been under shade cloth too. They're up to I'd say twelve to fifteen inches high. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Should I should I keep the shade cloth on, or are they 
big enough how, to where I can take it off of them. How dense is the shade cloth? What's the percentage on the shade cloth? Forty. Forty percent. Okay. Um I would leave it on for now. I I typically don't go over twenty percent. And uh, I mean, if you if you had twenty percent shade cloth, you could switch it out. But if forty is what you've got, I'm going to leave it on probably till the middle of August, and then see what the weather does. But uh, this, uh, you know, the combination of the heat and just the intensity of the sun, what we call radiant heat, the effect that it has when the, the sun hits the leaf. Those leaf temperatures are so high, uh, things are just struggling right now. So yeah, I definitely leave the the uh, shade cloth on probably for another month or six weeks. Uh, if you had 20% shade and wanted to switch it out, I think you'd be fine to do that at almost any time, but uh, I, I don't think you really have to. I think you'd be okay with the 40%. Are you growing them in cages? Uh, not yet. I will put cages on them when they get a little bit bigger. Yeah, go ahead and put the cages on them now. The way that I do it, uh, and I have a portion of my garden that I actually put shade cloth on and off of but with tomatoes the day i plant them even if they're just four inches tall i'll go ahead and put uh, the cage over them and then i just take a piece of that insulate fabric and wrap it around the cage maybe halfway up the cage the benefit of that even more than with shade cloth is it cuts down on the hot wind it provides about 30 percent shade but uh, that, that white fabric is actually much better than the black fabric from the plant standpoint but uh, uh, at this point, you're doing okay. I think, uh, though, that I would go ahead and put the cages around them. Next time around, rather than worrying about the shade cloth, like I say, I just put the cages on early on and then just wrap around the cages, either a little chunk of shade cloth or a little chunk of insulate, and I think your plants will get off to an even stronger start. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try that. And what is, what is this El Nino weather pattern you speak of? Um, <laughs> well, the... A true meteorologist, unlike the the clowns out there, it's based on a couple of things that happen way out in the Pacific, what we call the uh, Mad Julian Oscillation and the Western Pacific Oscillation and things like that and the interaction between the two of them. I'm only repeating what a true meteorologist I know who works for an environmental services company has taught me. And typically when we get into the El Nino pattern, we have the potential for lower temperatures and higher rainfall. This year, the water temperatures in that part of the Pacific are so unusually high that it's taken a lot longer time for the typical Nino effect to kick in. You can thank it for the fact that it does spin off little pulses of energy, which is why some folks around have gotten, I mean, I know somebody up in the hill country got three inches of rain last Sunday, and Fair Oaks got almost two inches. So, unfortunately, it's not the broad spread rain that we really need, but uh, um, we're better off than we were last year when it just totally shut down. So, it's uh, it's it's <laughs> it, it's coming. We just don't know when, and uh, I'm sure ready for it to happen. But uh, there are a lot of unusual things happen meteorologically, and they're not good. We're just uh, I'm, I'm not convinced man is the cause of a lot of this, but uh, we are definitely in a warming pattern as the Earth has been in many times over the past couple of billion years. But uh, uh, El Nino is our best bet for a little relief, and it looks like we're moving that direction. Well, I certainly hope so. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I just hope I don't 
fall into one of these cracks in my in the ground and nobody oh, will see me again. I, I've got young calves, and I worry about that jokingly. I worry about that out on the pasture. But uh, yeah, and but a, a not so joking thing. I don't know about you, but I've got cracks that are big enough a young animal could stick a leg down in and have a problem. So uh, we're ready for that next good rain. Yeah, it's it's pretty close. I mean, I don't have any cattle, but but uh, you know, I'm worried about my leg. <laughs> well, I tell you, I wouldn't have cattle if it weren't necessary to keep my property taxes down. But that's a whole other story. You get out and enjoy your Sunday, and we'll talk again. Thanks for the help. Always a pleasure, Glenn. Thank you, sir. All right, we need to get a break in here. Uh, don't have lives here, so run those recordings, and we'll get back to phone calls. It looks like Rosa is next in line. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and it looks like Rosa, Clint, E.T., and K. Rosa is first in line. Good morning, Rosa. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to ask you about my vitamins. Um, sometimes I'll be taking them, and then all of a sudden, for a long time, I don't take them. So while I was wondering, I have flaxseed oil and fish oil. Can I put those in my garden? Do I take them out of that little plastic? I would take them out of the plastic, and sure. I I don't think I'd put them on the surface of the ground. You can put them... It'd be good to put them when you're going to put some mulch on top of them, or you could actually put them in your compost pile, make your compost better when you put it on the garden. But no, don't don't throw them away. Now, prescription medicine, you you should return, but uh, your supplements, now if they're if they have uh, or if they're beyond the point that you want to take them, they are just fine in the garden, and some of them will actually be highly beneficial. I just wondered. Well, wonderful. Now I know what to do with them. Thank you so much. Well, I think the best thing is for you to take them. <laughs> but <laughs> I know, I know, it's 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 hard to remember to do that every morning or every evening. But I'm just teasing you. I want you to be with us in gardening for a long time, and uh, especially if you're dealing with somebody like uh, Rhonda's Nature's Way, uh, they'll they'll keep you going. And I can. <laughs> I can tell from your from your spirit that you're doing pretty well. <laughs> you know, when I'm fertilizing the garden, I say, "Look at this! You're fertilizing the garden, but you don't fertilize yourself. You need to take vitamins." <laughs> your, your brain, say, your, okay. your brain's still good and active, so uh, <laughs> you take care of yourself and uh, don't waste the vitamins. Okay. Have a great day. You too, Rosa. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Clint's next in line. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How's it going? Oh, it's just rocking along. (laughs) It's, uh, ah, there's lots of humor in the air this morning. That's always a good thing. I, I, this seems like everything you hear or see on the news or anything else is so depressing. And I love the fact that most gardeners are just the opposite, uh, yeah, I guess you have to be an optimist if you're gardening in Texas, but uh sure does make the day more fun. Oh, yeah, especially with this heat. <laughs> Amen. Delirious, oh, maybe, is where we might end up sometimes, but just, just a good optimistic outlook. But, now this heat's this heat is uh, something else, but I can almost promise you 60 days from now it'll be gone. Oh, come on, 60 days. <laughs> 
<laughs> Amen to that. What's going on in your world? On the uh, vinegar uh, weed killer mix, on the orange oil, I'm, I'm about out. Is there anything that can be substituted, maybe like a pine salt or something? Unfortunately, no. Um, the benefit of the orange oil is it it is um, it's a very powerful solvent, and it is a natural solvent. And what it does is it softens the exoskeleton of an in insect. It softens the cuticle, is what that outer layer is called on a plant. And it it in and of itself does almost nothing. In the case of an insect, softening that outer exoskeleton uh, allows the bacteria and fungi to move in and kill the insect. In the case of a plant, it softens it and lets the uh, acetates in vinegar get in and kill the plant. And uh, I don't know of a good substitute for orange oil. I know it's expensive uh, and you know you can find cheaper brands, but they're usually just diluted down. I'd rather see you use a little bit less of the orange oil than, you know, putting something else in there because I've just not found anything that does the same the same solvent job that the orange oil does in a natural fashion. Yeah, <clears throat> trying trying to find it out in this area here can be a little bit tough and stuff. I just always thought maybe that pine salt since it's kind of a solvent. I yeah, I, uh, you can you can try it and see. Um, I mean, nothing wrong with experimenting. I don't think pine salt has anything in it that's going to leave a bad harmful residue in the soil. Uh, the nice thing about uh, orange oil, of course, is that it works quickly and then goes away. But um, uh, yeah, it's just anybody, any nursery, any feed store can get it because uh, it's carried. Uh, Medina's the best brand out there, but uh, any nursery or feed store can get it from Adams or from BWI. So it's just a matter of getting them to put it on the shelf. And uh, a man that does as much as you do, it might even be worth your while to, you know, buy a case of it. It doesn't go bad. Uh, and, you know, if you can't get your feed dealer to to order it and sell you a bottle of it, tell them, okay, well, if you'll buy that whole case of 12 bottles, I'll take the whole thing. And then if you resell them to, you know, a couple of your friends or something like that, it's not like you're pushing drugs. There's nothing illegal about it. But uh, <laughs> it's it's out there. It's just, uh, let's just say, a lot of feed dealers have been around for a long time, and it's real hard to get them to look at doing anything any different. But if they knew that Clint was going to take it as soon as it, you know, hit the door, you might even ask them for a discount on buying a full case of it because it's uh, bottled. It's I, I don't heard uh, Stuart maybe actually getting it out of Brazil now. He's always shopping for best quality and best price, but um, um, it, it's certainly available <laughs> to any feed store that wants it. And again, if they buy from Adams or from BWI, I promise you they've they've got it. Okay. Uh, I've been going through a lot of it, um, attacking the blue stem, trying to keep that out of the yard and stuff. Oh, in the field. Good luck with that, yeah. <laughs> the weed poppers and weed flares, are those pretty good at taking out a, a big old blue stem? I know they got a huge root ball compared to the dandelions and stuff that was oh, always it's, meant for. Yeah, I, I find a grub and hoe is still the best thing going. Um you know, a lot of those things, some of the thistles and things, they put down uh, pretty much a taproot down. And that's what those weed poppers really go after. And a lot of the newer ones have that little uh, 
old like half circle on the bottom that uh, you know lets you push them up out of the ground. But uh, you know, my muscles uh, would rather make one good chop with a grub and hoe than sit there and you know bend over and try to do it three or four times to get it up with a weed popper. Okay. Now, uh, when you got the St. Augustine grass plugs uh, going, is it best to leave them alone and not cut, or still cut it for the faster spread effect? It doesn't really have a lot to do with spreading, but if you let the grass grow taller, it actually uses less moisture, so don't be in a hurry to cut it, and when you do cut it, cut it fairly high. But uh, the more leaf surface it has, it seems kind of contradictory, but the more leaf surface it has, the more it photosynthesizes, the more nutrient it puts into the roots. But somehow, I guess just from changing air movement, the less transpiration you have, losing the moisture back into the air. So you want to leave, you want to leave the leaves fairly high on those plugs. Well, my yard always gets the maximum height setting just to help retain that moisture. I just wonder if there's a way to make it spread faster or... Yeah, I'm going to get about 20 degrees cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Figure out how to do that and, uh, you know, it will really help when we do cool off in the fall. uh, It's really going to help to put that thin layer of compost over it, but it's just too hot uh, to do that right now for the people and the plants both. So, we just kind of, we're in a survival mode until we get into a little bit cooler weather. Then there are lots of things we can do to help it spread more quickly. Yeah, everything you can tell us is barely hanging on and, and looking uh, tired. And <laughs> are you talking about me or are you talking about your plants? <laughs> All the plants, the dogs, the chickens, they're even laying dust now instead of eggs. So. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's its just, it, it's been a stressful summer, but... You know, it's I just focus on on all the reasons that I'm glad I live in Texas. But summers like this, it's uh, it's good to get out of town now and then if you can. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. I always appreciate your call, Clint. You get out and enjoy this Sunday and uh, do your rain dance while we're at it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sure. Certainly. All right, Greg. Let's get a break out of the way. Et will be next in line when we come back. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Gardening and right straight back to the phone lines. ET's next and then it'll be K. A couple of open lines. Grab one if you'd like at 210-599-5555. Good morning, ET. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm well. How about yourself? Oh, I'm still kicking. That's good. All right, I got uh, one comment and three questions. First, the oh. comment. You always mention if a uh, plant is droopy in the evening, not to worry about it too much. But if it's in the morning, give it a good drink of water, which yes, I sir. did. And it's surprising, surprising how fast the bugger report put back up. <laughs> it is. It really is. And uh, you're doing it right. Okay, I got three questions. The first one is about ants. I'm not sure if they're sugar ants or if they're crazy ants. And I heard of possible three products to use. Maybe DE, I heard of a, peril, I mean a product called Sparrow, or should I use that, that blue artificial sweeteners in a little package? Well, it, you, you really ought to try and see what works best for you. If uh, the DE will kill every ant out there. 
uh, and it is an abrasive material, but you have to get it on the ants. And like for a colony of fire ants that may have a million ants in it, it's hard to get, you know, the DE really all through the mound. But if you have a bunch of ants, if you're seeing a bunch of ants in one place or another, yeah, DE is quick, easy, and it certainly is effective. Um, yeah, I think, the, I, think the, I think these ants here don't wipe out all the fire ants. So. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. But... Uh, actually, probably the best thing to use where you see them is spinosad. Spinosad is okay. a great, great ant killer, but it's, you know, harmless to people and pets and things like that. Now, if they were in the kitchen or something like that, I'd probably make a mixture of boric acid and sugar to put out. Uh, for carpenter ants, the, uh, the sweetener seems to do a pretty good job of killing them. But they're like a hundred different kind of ants, and I'm not smart enough to keep up with. I'm seeing ants that I've never seen before. Yeah. But, okay. Um, and have you yeah. heard Have you heard of the product called Sparrow? I'm not familiar with that one, no, sir. What What does it say? It's active ingredient is. I don't know. I was listening to the other station with uh, Jeff Fisher, and he recommended a product called Sparrow. It uh, is t- quite likely a toxic chemical, and I just. Uh, I yeah, love my, that's what love I kind of figure too. Nature and my pets too much, and the other seems to work really, really well. So, uh, if it is a car, if it is a uh, harvester ant or a fire ant, that come and get it makes a real good bait. But if you're just seeing them here and there, uh, just spray those areas only with spinosad. You'll get the fleas, you'll get the ants, you'll get the you know the other troublesome insects at the same time. But it, it'll do it totally safely. Okay, and my second question is, uh, the blasted deer done defoliated my pepper plant. I put up a cage around it, but will the pepper plant come back? It was nice and green. It's still green. It's very little bit coming back. Will it come back yep. full way? It, it will come back. I put a little has to grow or a little bit of their uh, liquid fish blend on there. And watch your watering. Since the leaves are gone, it's not going to dry out as quickly. So you don't want to drown it while it's trying to get some leaves back out. But a little bit of fertilizer, a little bit of Super Thrive Garrett juice, something like that's very definitely going to help. And as long as you don't keep it too soggy wet, uh, probably two weeks from now, you'll have a fully leafed pepper again. Okay, cool. And my last question, you always mention perlite. Why would one use perlite? And, I mean, what's the properties and how does it benefit? That's a great question. Uh, perlite is a volcanic ore. They take the ore, they heat it up to about 6,000 degrees, and it pops just like popcorn. The original thing that they, and the main thing they still use perlite for is making lightweight concrete. They substitute it instead of sand, and that's how they make all these, you know, these air conditioner pads and the, uh, uh, steps you may put out in front of manufactured housing or something like that. So it was actually developed for the purpose of making lightweight concrete. What we have found with it is, number one, it's totally sterile. Uh, it will hold some moisture, but it still always allows a lot of uh, air in it. So for rooting cuttings, it is the ideal material because you can put your cuttings in, you can water them very frequently and yet not keep them too wet. And because it's sterile, you're not bringing any bacteria or fungi that will cause them to rot. Uh, for the same reason, a lot of people mix it into potting soil materials just to make it more open 
uh, to help it have more oxygen in the soil. I think it's okay in material that you're using on pot plants. I don't like it in the garden because it floats and pretty soon you got what looks like a layer of dirty snow on top of the ground. But uh, it, it's just, it's a, uh, it's a mineral, it's an ore, and it is used to increase the amount of oxygen in the soil as far as plants go and uh, just help the soil breathe better. But like I say, as a product of root cuttings in, it's just absolutely outstanding. But uh, that, that's not what it was designed for. Okay, great, Bob. Thank you very much. And if it don't snow today, I'll, I'll try to have a good day. <laughs> You'll have an even better day if it does snow today, E.T., so get out there and enjoy it. Uh, well, let's thanks. see here. You're welcome. Uh, let's go ahead and talk to Kay. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I have a, a neighbor, and he has two large, fat cedar trees, mm-hmm. and one of them looks great, and the other one has died, and it looks like it's bagworms. How can he prevent that or what, or treat it or whatever? Well, cedars, um, and of course, are properly called junipers. Uh, they, as young trees, they're very vigorous. As old trees, if you stress them, they sometimes just fold up and die. Uh, the best way to kill the cedar trees, just give it an old cedar tree, is just give it plenty of water. That's why it's kind of humorous to me, these folks that move into the hill country, uh, put in a yard, put in grass, start watering a lot, and then they wonder why their cedar trees die. Um, but they they are susceptible to the uh, to the so-called bagworms. Uh, the bagworm will be killed by uh, BT, just as most of the other caterpillars are. Um, you can simply mix up your BT, add a little bit of molasses to it, uh, spray it on the foliage, and every bagworm that takes a bite of the foliage will fold up and die a short time later. I have seen lots of bagworms in my life, especially in my grandfather's greenhouse business many years ago, and I've never seen an infestation so heavy that I thought it was actually going to kill the tree. I think that there are other things going on, and uh, big old cedars, again, that cedar is a young plant. It's almost impossible to kill. Uh, but the bigger ones, when we get into a severe drought like this, uh, some of the old ones just fold up and die. I see it on my ranch. I see it on my partner's ranch. But um, uh, the bagworms are probably a symptom rather than the cause of the problem. So um, I don't, I don't really know what to tell you. If, if it's in an area that they're watering frequently, tell them to stop watering so much. If it's an area they never water at all, tell them, well, maybe give it a little bit of water occasionally. But I, I truly think the bagworms are more of a symptom than they are the problem. Okay. Um, my next question is, <clears throat> I have three oak trees. They're fairly close together. The squirrels planted them about 25 years ago. Very good. And um, <laughs> Yeah, they're really helping me. Um, the one in the middle, at the top part of it is, is sort of withering and looks like losing leaves and the other two look fine. I noticed there are some ants grow, going up them, kind of larger ants. So I wasn't sure why that one was having a problem. Are, are these live oaks or what kind of oak trees are they? Yes, they're live oaks. And how big are they? 
Well, I mean, how either diameter of the trunk or how tall are they? They're as tall as, as you know, a person's house. Um, okay. Okay. Um, it's. it's I, can't get my, I can't get my hands around them. Okay. They're bigger than that. And the central one that seems to be having the problem, how close is it to the other two trees? Uh, I mean, probably a of, yard. Okay. Out of yard. The most common problem that uh, I see, and we've got this issue we're going to have to deal with uh, one of the trees here at the nursery, uh, is girdling roots. Sometimes that root system will just start out at a point where, and, and a girdling root doesn't have to go all the way around the tree. Sometimes if just if a root is growing up very close to the developing trunk, um, then it does have a negative impact on a tree, and trees are, are frequently killed by a girdling root system. The solution is normally to blow some of the soil back away from the base of the tree, identify the girdling roots, and simply cut them. Uh, it's a job for a professional, not for me or you, because sometimes those roots are almost like a rubber band, and when you, you, know, when you cut them, uh, they can pop you know, with a great intensity. So I can't, without seeing it, I can't tell you that that's, you know, absolutely what the problem is. But if the other two trees are looking really healthy and the one tree's having a problem, um, something happening to the roots, such as girdling roots, would be a not uncommon problem. Um, if it's not gone too far, the tree can usually be saved. Uh, again, is this here in San Antonio? No, it's in Shiner. Okay. What you might do, um, uh, I again, I hate to overwork my arborist friend, and he probably doesn't go to Shiner, but uh, call David Vaughn and ask him if he knows a good arborist in the Shiner area that uh, he could uh, refer, you know, that he could refer you to that uh, would uh, be able to take a look and uh, tell you exactly what the problem is and what to do about it. You might be able also to take a good picture of the base of the tree right at ground level and just text that over to David and he'd look at that and call you back and say, you know, tell you if there's anything that he can see from it. He's just a heck of a nice guy and he's the most capable arborist I've ever known. But he was showing me on this oak that we've got here at the nursery that has a girdling root problem. On one side of the tree, he said there's a girdling root. It's below the level of the soil, you know, where we can't see it. But when you look at the side of the tree, it's actually that side of the tree is growing much more slowly than the other side of the tree. And uh, he said if we pull the soil back, he said you're going to find a big root that's pressing right deeply into the side of the tree. And that's why the tree is distinctly less healthy than the other oaks around it. So. Um, I, I can't guarantee you that's the problem, but I can tell you that all other things considered, that would certainly be a potential problem and certainly something that should be addressed. Uh, let me add this. <clears throat> there were about, I don't know, five or seven trees there. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, we cut the out several of them so there's just three left. Uh -huh. But that's the one that had the the other trees right up next to its bark. Then I think the girdling and, is a a very a very good possibility. 
And and don't worry about the ants. The ants are just telling you there's some dead wood in there that they're feeding on. But um, I would I would get somebody to take a look at it uh, fairly quickly. Do you have pencil in hand? Okay. Yes. Okay, here, here's David's phone number. <laughs> he won't mind you calling him. I saw him uh, just earlier this week and said, David, am I sending too many people to you? And he said, no, I love it. I just saw <laughs> I'll send them on to the person yeah. who can best help them if possible. So um, the number is 210. Okay, well, then you may have his number. It's 210 788 4986. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Let me know what he tells you. I'll be interested in learning. Okay. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Thank you. All right. Uh, tell you what, uh, Greg, if we, do we need to get one more break in this hour? If so, let's do Yeah, let's get a break in here, and then we'll get back to phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening, and uh, next in line is Sylvia. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Okay. That that my dad planted is is not the kind of avocado tree you should have here, but he planted it, so I wasn't going to tell him no. (laughs) Is this uh, uh, like he grew from a seed and then planted? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's fine. So it's growing in the backyard, and of course it's frozen back the last two years, and each year it's come back. So this year it's come back, and I've been watering it. It's about probably three to four feet tall, but mm-hmm. every day it just looks decrepit. Yep. <laughs> and I've been, I didn't know if I should put a shade over it, if that's going to do anything. I mean, I soaked it the other day, and for one day it was better, but not, you know, great. Yeah. You have so to be I don't careful. Know if I'm too much. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're probably watering too often. Uh, my rule mm-hmm. on plants is: uh, if it's droopy in the afternoon, don't worry about it. If it's still droopy the next morning, then it probably needs water. Uh, a lot okay. of times, when we start watering too often, just when they droop, the water is driving all the oxygen out of the soil. That's harming the root system, and yeah. ultimately, the plants can you know fold up and die. So. Yeah, um, that's what I was afraid of, that maybe I was, you know, like spoiling it. <laughs> yeah, too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing. But um, if it's, again, don't worry about it if it's droopy in the afternoon. Now, in a pot, you know, would be probably a little more likely to water. But in the ground, if it's droopy in the afternoon, let it go till the next morning. And then take and stick your finger down in the soil right at the base mm-hmm. of the tree. Uh, if it feels dry at that point, then give it a good watering, and it probably will perk right back up. Um, on the other hand, if it starts out looking good in the morning and then gets real droopy by afternoon, then automatically you'll need to water it the next morning if it's still droopy. Yeah, like right now, it's half droopy. Yeah. It's not well, all the way droopy. But that's uh, really yeah, I feel the soil, but definitely don't water it right now. And when you do water it, water it very, very thoroughly. But don't water it again until that soil is dry. I mean, this this plant's been in the ground for three years. It ought to have a pretty good root system. Well, uh, the, it's, the roots have been in the ground for three years. The yeah, plant has <laughs> right. But those roots weren't harmed by the cold. So uh, let it get okay. dry at least a couple of inches deep before you water again. Okay. That's question number one. Question number two. I have some orchid plants that are in the house, 
And I noticed the other day that one of them was dropping its leaves. So when okay. I looked at it, I saw it was rotten. Okay. So I, I tell you what, this and- this is going to take a couple of minutes to answer. So I'm going to get Greg to put you back on hold. We'll come back to you after this news break. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And we do have some open phone lines, so it would be a good time to dial. Uh, We were just talking with Sylvia about a couple of different issues, so let's continue that conversation, Sylvia. So uh, your orchid plant, you were losing some leaves from the bottom of it, and uh, you've looked at the base, and the leaves seem to be a little bit rotten. The the principal stem, uh, these are what we call monopodial plants. They grow with one upright uh, stem. Does that? How does the stem itself look, and how do the leaves that are left on the top look? Well, uh, I threw that one away. Oh, <laughs> I took it okay. Out of the pot, and I saw all the roots were rotten. I okay. have two more. Okay? okay. So I water them with diluted fertilizer that has to grow, mm-hmm. and I just put a drizzle about once a week, but they're inside. Okay. And well, and like a whole lot of sun. So, yeah, they they need they need quite a lot of sun inside. I can't. You don't want to have them right up against the glass, but it would be hard mm-hmm. to give them too much light inside. They need to be really sitting right in a sunny window, preferably a south mm-hmm. or a west window, to do well. Now, what, what if often I took them outside? Do what now? What if I took it outside? <laughs> outside, uh, no direct sun at all. In bright shade, they'll be very happy outside. That, okay, I mean, so it's not too hot. That's what I'm worried about. That it's too hot. No, no. These plants okay. came. Uh, the species they were bred from came from Borneo, the Philippines, places mm-hmm. where it's even hotter and more humid than it is here. But let me tell okay. you one other thing that you need to do, uh, probably sometime pretty soon, and that is take them out of that. Uh, they're almost certainly growing in sphagnum moss. That's how most of these things come out of China. And they start them out in the sphagnum moss, which is okay to start them. But then as that sphagnum moss starts to decompose, and the whole plant many times just starts to rot. So you take them out of that, probably in a little thin plastic cup, take them out of that. Mm -hmm. You gently take away as much of that sphagnum moss as you can. You don't have to get every piece of it. You feel the roots. Any root that feels soft and spongy, that root's rotten. Go ahead and clip it out. Okay. Uh, any root that feels nice and solid, especially if it has sort of a gray-white color with a bright green tip, those mm-hmm. are the actively growing living roots. And uh, that's what you want. Now, I've seen, and, and I used to grow 30,000 Phalaenopsis a year. We actually grew and sold to a lot of uh a lot of different places, and then the government changed some regulations. We won't go into all of that and started letting the uh, folks ship them in from overseas uh, at such a low price you just couldn't compete. But anyway, I I know Phalaenopsis. I've probably grown, you know, a couple of hundred thousand of them in my lifetime. But um, you need to get them out of that sphagnum and into a bark mix. Uh, Usually it'll just be sold as orchid. It's, yeah, uh, it'll, I bought some of that, and I okay. haven't used it, so <clears throat> well, I have you, them ready. You need to get them out of that sphagnum and into the bark. You're going to have to water them a lot more often, especially at first, because that bark you know, drains pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. that long-term, 
Uh, I've had friends that had orchids live for 50 years of the Phalaenopsis. I had one friend, and he was growing it in a greenhouse, but he had a Phalaenopsis like you have, and it went for eight years that it either had buds or blooms on it the entire time. So wow. these are, are great, great plants. If the root system hasn't gone too far, you can turn it around, but um, uh, getting the them where they get the... That it came in has a, <clears throat> it's that little plastic pot, but yeah. it's in a ceramic pot with no drain hole. So yep. when I took it out, uh, there was a whole bunch of water in there. So yeah, that's, that's like, real okay, bad. Yeah, you ought to take yeah. them out of that out of that decorative pot immediately. Mm-hmm. And I just use a simple clay pot to pot into. I mm-hmm. think that's what they like best. You can use plastic pots, but don't go to a great big one. That that plant probably needs more, no more yeah. than a four well, inch a pot. Ceramic pot, but it doesn't have a hole in it, so <laughs> yeah, you know. Same yep. thing. And then the other one is also in a ceramic pot, and I try to get it out, and it's just, like, stuck in there. Is it okay, like, to stick a knife or something around the edges to loosen it? You can do that. Yeah, you can I mean, do that. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, do do use a dull knife so that you're not cutting away good live roots, but uh, mm-hmm. that's a good sign because the orchid probably has quite a few good roots in there, but... Uh, yeah. The other option, which is certainly, I mean, that little pot's probably worth a dollar. Uh, yeah. There have been times that I've just broken the pot, and, you know, peeled it out away. So you can okay. make that decision to how much you like that pot. <laughs> and, but if it looks like, yeah, you want to try to avoid cutting the roots. And if you can, you know, run a dull knife around it and loosen it without cutting the, the good roots that are up on top, that's fine to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's the ones I'm worried about because, I don't know, I just want them to be- Sure, and and, and people that have you know beautiful orchids, and and one of them that I had, it's weird. It it shot out, you know, the spike where the plants come out, and one flower came out, and mm-hmm. then that one fell off, and then uh, a few months later, another one flower came out, <laughs> and then well, the same thing. But that thing stayed green, and now after the last time it bloomed, it's it dried up. So yeah, is, do I need to cut that part off? If it's dried up and crispy, you might as well. It's not serving okay. any purpose. But okay. realize that orchids are the largest family of flowering plants in the world. There are over 25,000 species and probably over 200,000 hybrids these days. So there are lots of different kinds of orchids. But it sounds to me like what you have are what we call Phalaenopsis or Dridonopsis. And um, they're they're the easiest of all orchids to grow. But uh, either move them outside in the shade or move them to a brighter window inside, and as soon as you conveniently can, get them repotted, and they'll they'll start doing better. Do be fertilizing them every two to four weeks with uh, something like Hestagrow or their liquid fish blend, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's what I've been using. I made a mix yeah. with that, and I just have the bottle there right by them. So That's when just I great. Want, that's what I'm wanting by. So. Okay, that's well, thank good. you so much. You answered my questions. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> you have thank a great week. Thank you. You do the same. Okay, let's see here. Looks like uh, next in line will be Judy and then Don and Elizabeth. Good morning, Judy. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, uh, Myers lemon is kind of new. It produces lemon, but when they're still green, like the size of a ping pong ball, something is eating them. So I don't know if it's a wasp. Is it like a real rough spot, mainly on the bottom of the lemon? It looks like the rind's just been gnawed away. Yeah, but it's not mainly on the bottom. I think it's everywhere. And the leaves have holes on them. Some of the leaves mm-hmm. have holes in them. And, I, and I've seen a wasp around there, a couple of wasps. Yeah. No, that's, I, they're, they're not doing worms. it. 
Yeah. What you're not, what you're looking at is either rats or squirrels. I hate to tell you, the squirrels are the biggest culprits, and they sit there and just the the rind of the lemon just it, it gets real rough, rough, rough looking, and um, I that's uh, I've seen it probably 10 times this week already with people bringing things in and it's either rats doing it at night or squirrels doing it during the day and even though it's still green oh yeah oh yeah and it it may grow and it could go ahead and ripen but unfortunately unless you get rid of them uh they're going to continue gnawing on it until they eventually uh get take take the whole fruit so um, it's, I, I just I, can't see a squirrel holding, uh, the tree is not very big. It's like, I know five feet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you, you get a game camera and put it out there and I can pretty much promise you yeah. what you're going to see. And, uh, um, I, some, my, my sure. partner, business partner teases yeah. me regularly because I call them bushy tailed tree rats, but, yeah. uh, they can be highly destructive, and they are very fond, especially in this dry weather. Citrus is one of their favorite targets, but uh, uh, they will they will they will take Judy's lemons without thinking twice about it. Yeah, I, I just yeah. During the day, I don't see them climbing because we do have squirrels. I don't see them climbing the the tree. Maybe I, mice or yeah. rats. It. it it could be. I, it. I don't know. <laughs> I I one day, you know, saw a mature lemon and two squirrels were working together to take it away because it was too much for either one of them individually. Oh. But uh yeah. And the holes in the leaves, that that that's probably not anything to worry about, but you need oh. to need to take care of whatever rodents okay. there are that are chewing on it. All right. Well I appreciate that. I'll keep an eye on that then. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Judy. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, uh, Greg, let's don't get behind. Let's get a break in here, and we'll talk to Don and Elizabeth in just a second. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Back to gardening. It's going to be Don and Elizabeth and David. Don is first in line. Good morning, Don. Good morning, sir. Good morning. About 10 years ago, when my dad was still with us, uh, we planted two Texas red oaks in the uh-huh. front yard, and uh, uh, both of them came up uh, really, <clears throat> excuse me, really good. Uh, and then uh, we had the snow, snow and ice storms. Right. Um, they got they got really uh, uh, hammered with that, and then they 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 came back out, uh, but one of them just you know, couldn't keep up and then, uh, lost all of its leaves. And, and I finally, after I waited another year and, uh, but it, it died. So I, I cut it down, uh, and there's about two foot of the, uh, trunk still there coming up. I want to plant another tree at the same position. So do I need, how much of that root system do I need to to dig out to make room for the the new tree basically just enough to be able to dig a hole now i would not put it exactly on top of where the old tree was because you know you're not going to get all the roots out no matter what you do unless you get in there with a backhoe and that's probably not one don't want to mess up your yard that much but you can move probably two feet in any direction 
and then if you can dig a big enough hole to put the uh, your new tree in the ground, you'll be just fine. But eventually, what's going to happen is what's left of that trunk and what's left of the roots at the base are going to slowly rot away. You're going to end up with the depression there. You're going to come back in and actually have to, you know, add some more soil in that one spot. And that's why you don't want to just set a new tree right down in that exact spot. But if you can get just a couple of feet away from it, um, dig the appropriate hole for whatever size tree you're going to plant, and don't worry about it. You're going to have a ton of little mushrooms and toadstools and things come up over the next two or three years where the old roots are rotting away. But um, I would not hesitate to plant right up next to it. Red oaks are kind of they're the fastest growing oaks, but they're a little bit of the wimp when it comes to uh, you know having weather problems. So if you want another oak, I'd think about a bur oak or maybe a Mexican live oak or what the uh, you know one of the uh, chinkapin oaks, something like that. I wouldn't go back with uh, either a red oak or with a live oak because of the oak wilt potential. But if you want the if you want a tree that's going to live 200 years, look at a bur oak. If you want a tree that's going to grow a little faster and be an excellent tree for you, look at the so-called Mexican live oak. Mexican live oak, okay. Yeah. Also right. called a, a Monterey oak or Quercus polymorphus, its botanical name. But, yeah, it's a it's a real good tree. And they had minor damage in 2021, but I'm not a, sing, a single one that actually died from the cold. And and, and we're, we're uh, uh, in town... Uh, we bought we bought these up at uh, out off of Bandera, mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, we matched them up pretty size wise and stuff. That's why they they grew up like almost like twins. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I I can look at the Mexican uh, uh, oak, and because uh, I want something to try uh, to try to catch up or not, you know, get some size <laughs> to it. Yeah. In, in 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 not too long distant future. Sure. So, uh, here here in town, as far as trees go, uh, has things changed as far as availability? Well, yes, they have changed as far as availability because so many of the growers, not the people that are selling the trees, but the growers are taking little trees and sticking them in great big pots because they can charge more money for them that way. But uh, there are not any new players on the scene, so to speak. There, there are a bunch of companies around. Um, uh, it, it kind of depends on how big a tree you want uh, and whether or not you want to plant it yourself. Obviously, if you want to get a bigger tree that's already going to be similar in size, you're probably going to have to pay a company that can come in with uh, you know, some kind of mechanical equipment to dig and plant because big trees are awfully heavy. Uh, there are other nurseries that sell real top quality trees, but they don't do the planting. So you're probably going to start with a slightly smaller tree, but you're going to save a bunch of money because you can uh, you can plant it yourself. I would say wait until October or so. This weather's just awfully brutal to be putting out a new tree, but uh, then just maybe even dig the hole before you go looking for a tree and be sure you know how big a hole you can dig. A good, healthy tree will spend about a year growing roots, and after that, it'll just explode into growth. So, um, I mean, if you want to spend a few thousand dollars, you can get a tree that's already pretty good size. But, again, you're looking at a lot more work to plant it and a lot more expensive doing that. But it's just, it, it, you know, it's... 
people always ask me what's the best tree to plant, and I tell them the biggest tree you can afford. You're not getting a worse tree because you're getting a smaller tree. Uh, you're just whenever you buy a tree, you're going to be paying for however long it took that tree to grow, and a bigger tree obviously costs costs more to to grow for several years to get up to that size. So don't be in a rush. Uh, you know, like I say, you've got a couple of months before I really would recommend you uh, you plant. But uh, go around and visit the good nurseries and see who see who offers the best trees and uh, and and then make your decision from there. And if you have more questions, give me a call. I'm always here to help you. Okay, sir. And you said uh, uh, name wise, it's a Mexican oak. Is they call it either a Mexican live oak or a Monterey oak? Uh, two names for the same exact tree. Uh, botanically, it's called Quercus polymorpha, but you don't need to know that. Uh, just any nurseryman, a Mexican live oak or a Monterey oak, they should certainly know what you're talking about. Okay, sir. Uh, yeah, I, I the, when we had these trees planted, I had the I paid the I had to pay somebody to dig the hole and plant yep. it. So I went ahead and and uh, made made the deal with the the nursery that we bought them. And that way, they 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 guaranteed it a hundred percent grow. So yeah. so I didn't want to I didn't want to have any question about you know <laughs> if they were good or bad. So yeah. uh, uh, I so I'll I'll probably do that, uh, and I'll probably buy a little bit bigger, you know, because I don't want mm-hmm. one that's that's got a two inch diameter versus the one I've got the the uh, one that that survived is probably eight it uh, eight inches in diameter now. Right. Right. Well, just be sure that they don't bury it too deeply when they plant it. Uh, you want that tree, if anything, you want it to be sitting a little bit higher than too low. You don't want any soil mounded up around the trunk. You want to be able to see those roots flaring out from the base. So uh, just watch them very carefully and be sure they plant it properly. Uh, it always, you know, some of these companies tell you, oh, it would be much more stable if we plant it deeper. Well, it will be much more likely to die from other problems. So be sure that they are planting it uh, at the proper depth, and that should be no deeper than it was originally growing. Yeah, we we did. Yeah, we did that because, and and I put two uh, T posts, you know, uh, to to help hold it hold it straight up, you know, to sure. it, until it got established, and that worked out re- very good. Well, you obviously, said, you you uh, know what you're doing because your one tree's doing really well. Just Mother Nature got the other one a little too cold, but uh, yeah, yeah you you know what to do. You're, uh, you said October, November. Those uh, are the friend? those are the two months when trees will go through the least amount of stress getting started. Uh, in fact, if you were to ask me, I'd tell you those are the two best months of the year to do landscape work. Normally, I would tell you from when you're planting from a container or a box, you can do it almost any time. But this summer's been just brutal. It's hard on people and hard on trees both. So um, it'll give you a little time to look around and find the tree that you want. But uh, I'm certainly not going to be planting any trees until we cool off this fall. Certainly. Uh, another question. The city cut down one of my pecan trees, uh-huh. put in some, some sidewalks. That they they had a bond bond issue and and uh, they came in and finally did it. Uh, they I lost one. They took it, but uh, uh, I stood guard on the other one that they couldn't touch it. They, <laughs> I, I told them I was going to sleep out there on a cot with my shotgun so they wouldn't touch the other one. 
Good but, for you. Uh, yeah. The the do you know what the the their program the city has as far as if they take one down they owe me three three to replace it. Well, you you would have to look at the plat of your property. Most of the time, they have an easement that's, you know, X number of feet back from the street, and they can do anything they want to and not reimburse you one penny. If they go beyond the easement, then they are obligated to uh, to replace or, you know, pay for anything they damage. Uh, but uh, you just, and I can tell you that usually the first three to five feet back from the street uh, they have an easement on that. They don't have to do a blasted thing, regardless of what they do to it. Unfortunately, but uh, look look at the plat on your property and see see where that easement goes and see if they've done anything that actually was on your property. If it has an easement, it's basically still their property to do as they want to. Yeah, I, I understand that the the uh, uh, the program. Uh, Right now, does SAW still have the program? If I plant a tree on the west or east side of my house, they'll help help me pay for it. That's actually CPS Energy rather than SAWS, and um, that program goes through the fall and spring months. I haven't gotten the dates, but uh, they're they're not going to. It's called the Green Tree Shade Rebate Program, and it's a great great program. They give you. They're not going to give you money. They're going to give you credit on your energy bill. But uh, they're not going to do that until we get into better planting weather. But uh, they've done it for several years now. I have no reason to think they won't be doing it again this year. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. My pleasure, Don. Appreciate the call this morning. You get out and have a great Sunday. You too, sir. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, uh, let's get a break in here, Greg. Elizabeth will be up next, and then David. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Elizabeth, David, and Elaine. Elizabeth is first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I moved to a new house that has um, a bed that's covered in uh, red lava rock mulch. Okay. And it's about two by ten feet, and I think this rock is, you know, it's at least four inches deep. Well, okay. I don't want it in there. But, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I want some dirt, and I'm not a big fan of rock mulch, but, um, <clears throat> you know, the pieces are anywhere from three-quarters of an inch to two inches in diameter. Sure. Can I make use of that somehow? Would it be beneficial to dig it into the ground here and there or, or it, container plants? Well, I'm with you. I think lava rock's one of the ugliest things in the entire world. <laughs> but it uh, and, and so much of it, you know, can absorb heat. On the other hand, it has some benefits. It helps hold moisture. It... Uh, uh, actually may contain something we call paramagnetism that helps plants grow better. It helps with retaining nutrients and slowly releasing them to your plants. So it's it just looks ugly. It's not a bad material. 
What I am most afraid of is that underneath that rock there's a piece of some kind of fabric or plastic or something, and you need to get rid of that. There's nothing but bad news about that stuff. But uh, the oh, rocket, sure, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right about that. So, but you, the, you know, it's hard yeah. to get rid of. You can't hardly shovel it. Oh, I know. I've been there, done that. Back in my days when I was actually digging holes and planting plants, uh, I came to hate that stuff with a passion. But um, what is your ultimate plan for this bed? Do you just plan to replace it with grass? Do you plan to plant things that you oh, like no, in there? It'll, it'll be a, a little kitchen garden. It doesn't get a whole bunch of sun, but... Um... Uh, whatever I can figure out that the deer won't eat, which, you know, isn't much. <laughs> well, but many herbs and things the deer won't eat. Well, I'll tell you what I would do, if it were mine, to minimize the work and maximize the result. First of all, I'd probably pay a high school kid in the neighborhood to come get rid of that landscape fabric for you. And uh, uh, But anyway, that's the first... I tried that, and he quit. I, I did. I tried that, Bob, and he quit. <laughs> well, <laughs> find one with a little bit better work ethic. They're only about one in a hundred. But, you know, growing up, uh, I worked with my grandfather, my grandmother, my aunts and uncles in their uh, florist and uh, plant business in Dallas. My uncle knew the football coach at the high school. And whenever we needed nice, strong young men who uh, the coach knew could needed a few bucks, we called him and he sent over some of the nicest ones. So you might... If you know anybody at the high school or even junior high, if you know any of the coaches or anybody, those kids generally have learned something about discipline, and uh, the coaches like to see them stay in good shape. So it might be a good source of uh, finding somebody that could do the job for you, and uh, I've, I've recommended that to several people that have had real good results. But let, let's assume that yeah, you that find a, let's assume you find a way to get rid of that fabric. I would think about making a small raised bed using whatever material. I just raise the level of the soil about six inches, fill in with some good garden mix, and uh, you've got instant bed. And the fact that the plants are going to be growing the roots down and through that rock, uh, the plants are going to love it. So uh, that's oh, really? how. Yeah. I, I mean, I oh. see no need to take that that lava rock out and put it somewhere else. If it was out in the middle of your yard, I'd tell you just make a berm out of it and plant a couple of crepe myrtles in the middle of it or something like that. But up in an area where you'd like to have a kitchen garden, um, you could use, uh, you know, I love this lumber called EcoVantage lumber, but probably easier to find. You could use something like Trex, get just, uh, you know, a couple of boards that you can anchor in place. Come back in with a few bags, or if you've got somebody with a pickup, they can go pick out a pick up a, a you know a yard of good soil for you. Fill it in with soil, and all of a sudden we have instant bed for you to uh, do your planting in. Oh, that sounds great! That sounds great. I had considered trying to incorporate some of it into a, oh a ten by ten foot area where I'm going to put. Spanish dagger and agaves and ceniza and uh, will probably never water it. If uh, well, no, you're going to have to do some watering. <laughs> Even those plants well, getting them established. The problem is you've got big chunks of it. If this were little chunks, if this were lava gravel, I would tell you that's an outstanding idea. I think with the bigger chunks, unless you can find a way to crush them, I think that you're going to have trouble 
you know, doing much of that. I, right. I, I think that's an excellent idea if you could indeed work it into the soil. But you said these chunks are half to three-quarters of an inch. That's going to be a problem to haul, and it's going to be a problem to uh, uh, in, get incorporated into the soil. And if you want to take the time and trouble to do it, nothing at all wrong with that plan. But I'm if I'm looking for maximum results and minimum physical labor, um, I, I would consider leaving it in place. And like I say, just create a raised bed on top of it. Okay, well, I think that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Um, the other question I have is, um, what is the best material for the floor in a greenhouse? Um, I would say probably decayed granite. Uh, it's oh. it's you know rough and uh, easy to walk on it's not slick virtually everybody i know that's ever put a concrete floor in a greenhouse has either broken a leg or an uh, elbow falling down on it at some point because where you're watering a lot it's going to be slick if you wanted a concrete floor i would tell you just to be sure that whoever does it puts what's called a broom finish which is a very rough surface on it so it doesn't get slick but if you want to spend less money and have a very satisfactory floor, decayed granite is ideal. And you can well, buy it by I've the got, bag or I've got a I've got a sand base mm-hmm. and I was gonna put pea gravel or uh cedar mulch on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um I think cedar mulch is supposed to be beneficial because it doesn't harbor pathogens. On the other hand, it seems like it would stay pretty soggy. Well, and and there's nothing at all wrong with cedar mulch. Pea gravel is hard on the feet. You know, you're going to sink in pea gravel. Because it's round, it's always going to be loose. It's kind of like walking on, you know, real loose beach sand or something like that. You'll have to build a lot of muscles walking on pea gravel. But um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just, money. I mean, we have a parking lot made out of decayed granite. It sets up hard and uh, is yet it still lets water back and forth through it. It's very low maintenance. Uh, if you like the look of pea gravel, I would put a, a lava sand or a lava gra- uh, uh, crush, I'm sorry, a decayed granite base down, and then I put the pea gravel on top of that. Okay, okay. Um, sometimes I get confused about granite because there's, Granite sand, there's crushed granite, there's decomposed granite, which I guess it's is the same as all basically granite. all basically the same thing. You know, come come drive across our parking lot, our newer parking lot's only about ten or twelve years old, and uh, um, you can see what it looks like. Uh, again, we have very large trucks drive on it. Unfortunately, where people come and go a little faster coming and going to work, we do have to. You know, have at the ends of the bays, we sometimes have to re-level it. But uh, inside of a building, this is a one-and-done job. If you want it to be super stable, uh, there are, you know, polymers, kind of like a glue that you can mix with it that will absolutely hold it in place. You can mix a little bit of powdered cement, not concrete, but cement, Portland cement with it. And it'll be, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be a super hard, super durable floor. It's going to be rough enough that it's not going to be slick, and uh, um, especially if you cement stabilize it, you're never going to have any weeds in it. I doubt weeds are going to be a problem inside the greenhouse to begin with, but uh, um, there's no reason to make this a super expensive, super laborious job. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Well, good. Um, in closing, I would like to encourage anybody that wants to open an organic gardening center in San Marcos. We need one. My <laughs> <laughs> resources are really few and far between. Well, I remember when there used to be a Gardenville location up there years ago, and they uh, oh, Malcolm yeah. found somebody to do a great job of it, but uh nursery business is a tough business you know it's a very physical business and uh we're fortunate we've had you know we've had people that have been with us for 20 or 25 years but finding new people that want to work in the heat and in the cold and all is a real challenge so good luck on that one <laughs> uh-huh okay well i'll cross my fingers well thank you, you do so it. much you are certainly welcome Liz. with great questions i appreciate the call thank you all right, guess we get our, better get our last break of the show in here. We'll be back and talk to David and Elaine. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Golly, this day has gone by quickly. Lots of great questions. Y'all are just, I don't know, just really, really thoughtful good questions and i sure enjoy being here to help you with them uh we're going to talk to david and then elaine good morning david morning bob how you doing i'm off to a good start i hope you are too <laughs> i'm setting my you know what off man i'm out here <laughs> already okay. i say i've already i've got the cleanest pores in town <laughs> yeah there you go listen i'm having trouble with my roses as everybody usual. is Everybody they is. They look ugly. They look pitiful. Yeah. They're turning uh, some of the leaves are turning brown. Yeah. Yellow. What you need What you need to do is go to Colorado for six weeks, and when you get back, they'll look a lot better. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, I wish, too. Now, it's, uh, what you want to do is be careful not to overdo it. Uh, uh, people many times think they can cure all these problems with more water and you need to keep them watered, especially the, the knockouts or the thirstiest rows out there. But the foliage looks bad. I mean, even the best rose growers I know, the, the foliage looks mm. bad. And because the yeah. leaves aren't as good, the plants aren't able to use the water as effectively. And people who are watering too often are going to end up killing their plants. Uh, at this point, I would fertilize, probably with a water-soluble fertilizer, like the Hester-Grow plant or the liquid fish blend. Uh, I would fill that soil and don't water it till it's dry a good inch deep. And like I always say, if they're a little droopy in the evenings, don't worry. If they're still droopy the next morning, they may very well need water. But um, foliar spraying with something like liquid seaweed and uh, molasses to cut down on spider mites, uh, spraying with a little liquid garlic to cut down on black spot and powdery mildew. Those are all things that are going to help the plants. But um, around Labor Day, we're going to cut them back by about a third, fertilize again, and they're going to come out and look beautiful for the fall. Oh, but okay. uh, right. I, I think too much action is probably worse than none at all. But um, like I say, roses are just struggling in this kind of heat. And uh, yeah. the one thing you want to be careful that you're not doing is watering too often. You want to water really thoroughly when you water, but get down there and feel that soil. Let it get dry at least a knuckle deep before you water again. I'm in full sun, yep. and I water them every other day. 
Well, you're going to have to feel the soil. That might be right, or that may be a little too often. Knockouts, you may have to do that. But, you know, Belinda's Dream, Julia Child, Cinco de Mayo, a lot of uh, my favorite roses, watering them more like every five or six days is more like what they really need. So uh, be, be careful you're not watering too often, because if you keep that soil too wet, it'll drive the oxygen out of the soil, you'll have root problems, and... Real easy to kill them by watering too often. I guess I'm going to have to wake up. I spray mine with garlic and uh, some of the seaweed too. Yeah, that will so help them. Seaweed. That'll help them a great deal, David. Sure all will. The branches, all, the, all the leaves and all the branches, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and they they'll be a lot better this fall when they start putting on new growth and it cools off a little bit. They'll be back to being good looking. But uh, uh, again, I I've looked at a lot of roses recently and. Uh, Everybody's struggling with them right now. Mine were blooming like crazy, man. Ooh, oh, yeah? Shoot. Yeah. And now, if I prune them right now, <laughs> I yeah. got, uh, I'll have uh, several branches that are real tall and I'm mm-hmm. doing nothing. I think no, I'm you, you, those. No. no, you want to wait about six weeks. Uh, Labor Day okay. is an easy day to remember, and that's about the time. We typically cut roses back about two-thirds around Valentine's Day and about one-third right. around Labor Day. So uh, okay. put your shears away for a little while. Now, if you want to trim off just where the old blooms were, if you uh, have dead yeah. tips on the limbs, yeah, you can do that, but... Uh, don't get yourself torn up. Wear some good gloves because, I mean, somehow getting scratched and poked by those roses just hurts more yeah, when man. you're already sweaty to begin with. So uh, just don't just don't overdo it. Would they be blooming like uh, like before, after that? After we, uh, What's the weather going to do? Is it going to cool down and give us some nice, gentle rain and... Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing, of course. If the weather cooperates, the fall blooming is many times as pretty or prettier than the spring yeah, blooming. Ooh, but I, ooh. I sure don't have a crystal ball. Last year, you know, the dry weather lasted on into you know for about half the fall. And if that happens, no, the blooms are not going to be real quality. If, on the other hand, if we start getting good rains when the temperature starts to drop a little bit, yeah, your roses are going to be absolutely beautiful. But uh, uh, until we see what the weather's going to do, I sure can't answer that question. Well, all right. Very good. Talk to you later. Thank you for your uh, help. It's always a Enjoy pleasure. Your, oh, it's good to program. talk to you, David. I thank Enjoy you. I thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, goodbye. All right. We'll probably finish the show up uh, right now with Elaine. Uh, good morning, Elaine. Good morning, Bob. It's so nice to have a personal plant expert at call. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, it is my great pleasure to be here. I'll just put it that way, and I don't think there's a problem. Well, there are very few problems out there I haven't dealt with in my own garden over the years that I've been gardening. So it's just a real pleasure to be here and talk to the best people in the world. I, I kid you not, people who love uh, plants, people who love animals are the kind of people that I'm proud to call friends. Me too. And I'm going to add in quilting. Okay. I'm the one that's <laughs> okay. right. Yeah, go ahead. I'm the one that has multiple crepe myrtles on my property. Uh-huh. Uh, I realize some of them were way too deep. Some of them still are too deep. When I started excavating, uh, now I don't have just root flares on the larger ones. I have roots. Have mm-hmm. I gone too far? No. No. Okay. That's. You know, I'd I'd love for you. Uh, again, we go to Atlanta a couple of times a year for the world's biggest gift market over there, just about 9 million square feet of showrooms. And 
That city has some of the most incredibly beautiful root flares on crepe myrtles, on oaks. I don't know what it is, but people have planted well over there. And um, it's, it's just amazing what a beautiful root flare a crepe myrtle can produce. And it's, you know, it's, it's I, I can hardly imagine having them too exposed, but uh, having those roots right at the surface of the ground is good for the plant and ultimately is beautiful. Okay. And uh, where the minor trees, or I'm trying to make all of them be trees, mm-hmm. most of them are 20, 20 plus foot tall, though. Uh, but where you get the little stu- suckers around the bottom, uh-huh. how how deep should I cut those? Because they always come out at the same place. Do I just need uh, to get rid of that whole nodule or just the sucker? Just cut them as deep as you conveniently can. I'm not into, you know, it, it shouldn't be just a huge amount of work. And as the as the plants get healthier, now that you've got the roots exposed, you're going to have a lot fewer of those little suckers come up. So, yeah, if you can cut an inch below the surface of the soil, all the better. But they're going to sprout back anyway, so don't break your back trying to trying to go too deep down. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Then I've got some more oak trees to excavate and about five more crepe myrtles to get out. So, Well, I you're making... Making good progress, just wait till it cools off. Uh, I've gotten to where, you know, I enjoy my gardening more in the evening than I do in the morning. The morning period is so brief. Man, once that sun comes up, it gets it gets too hot in a hurry. But if you wait till it starts getting a little bit late into the afternoon, it's not quite as cool, but uh, it, it's, it's possible to get out there and really enjoy your gardening up to the point uh, where it gets dark. At least that's my experience. And, uh, uh just keep drinking that good fluid and keep putting those electrolytes in it. And uh, as they say, this too, this too shall pass. And uh, it's the old joke about, uh, about you know, company. I had a friend that once said, at times like this, I turn to the Bible for comfort. I open it to the passage that says, and it came to pass. And I'm so glad it never says, and it came to stay. And that's sort of the way I feel about this hot weather. I know it's not going to stay, but I'm, I'm sure ready for it to move on. One last little question. Uh, some of these were are pretty thick trees, and they've got lots of uh, lichen or whatever that word is. Lichen. As well as, yeah, yeah, on them. Should I be knocking that off or leaving no, it? Totally harmless. Totally harmless. Okay. And, uh, and okay. keep in mind that now anything that you want to spray on those trunks and all, whether it's just water, whether it's got a little super thrive, whether it's got a little fertilizer in it, picking up that hose and spraying up and down the trunks, every plant out there is going to be saying a big thank you in this weather. Okay. Yeah. And I do that almost daily. Okay. Thank you, Bob. I really do appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Elaine. I appreciate the call. Everybody, it's been a good show today. Dr. Kirby just walked in, so it's just about time for your pet's health. Be thinking of what questions you have about your dogs and cats and turtles and chickens. And Anyway, it's we always have, always have fun, always a lot of good information, and so we'll be here with you for the next hour on KTSA. Enjoy your gardening. Get those tomatoes in the ground. Do your planting early and late. Don't be pruning Be sure when you water to water thoroughly and let the soil dry to the proper point between times.